girls. I'm Stina. I'm Danielle. We want to focus on uh, television and movies in particular. Yes. Disclaimer that we are in no way film experts. A deep, like, dive. Be quiet. Whoa. I'm yelling. Back me up on this one. (laughs) Hey, you're listening to... Two Girls Watch TV. I don't know why I shut my curtain. Nobody can see me. That's true. That's how how my mom and Otis know that I'm in a business meeting. (laughs) The curtain is closed. Pay no mind to the man behind the curtain. (laughs) That's it. The beauty of working from home. Exactly. So I'm sorry, what did Otis help you with your uh, pup date time? Otis helped you with your uh, workout? Otis helped me with my workout and I had to do these things where I had to jump over like a bench, but I have like the extra long ottoman, so I just use that. And every time I had to jump over the ottoman and I'm like totally out of breath, mm-hmm. he decided to land or be right where I needed to like plow my feet into the ground. And I was like, I am going to step on you and you're going to get hurt. And so I would like, sit on the block and then he would just like look at me like what am I supposed to do and I'm like not be there (laughs) so we're not on the same wavelength yet (laughs) why do animals know exactly the perfect spot to just be in the way I don't get it I I just and then they just play dumb you know they're like oh what I'm not supposed to be here and I'm like no No, you're not. No, you're not supposed to be laying directly in front of the fridge. I don't care if the hot air blows out the bottom. Move it, dog. Otis doesn't like... Picasso loved that. Picasso was all about sitting, like, upstairs where heat rises. He would sit on the bottom of the freezer in July. I remember Ace used to like to sleep in the bathroom next to the toilet in the summertime because Black Dog gets hot real quick, so he just needed to sleep on the cold tile floor next to the cold porcelain toilet bowl. Also, he got a little drink every now and then. Well, it's like I have the sheet on the floor. It's basically just an old fitted sheet but I keep it on the floor in my room and it's like not far from the air conditioner so like all the cold air just kind of sits on it and whenever he goes outside now for a walk he just like puts his belly right on that sheet and it cools off real quick how is he doing on his walks um he's good I didn't have to drag him too much today I've decided to let him choose because he wants to like explore other blocks he's a bigger dog so like I think my theory is now that bigger dogs get bored of going around the same block I don't know, they're bigger and they want to see more of the world, I guess. But Picasso used to love, like, all right, this is our routine. Let's go. (laughs) But Otis likes to explore. So today he almost ate a bird. He almost ate a bird? Mm -hmm. There was a, like, bird just hanging. I think it was, like, a baby bird. But it had, like, feathers on it. Yeah. He tried to, he sniffed it. He booped it with his nose last night. And I think it was the same bird. But instead of it being in this little ditch in the grass, it was on the sidewalk. And I didn't... He is a hunter. Like, yeah. he doesn't make, he doesn't bark, he doesn't do anything. He just, like, goes right for the jugular vein. So, but he doesn't have any bottom teeth. So I think he tried to, like, bite the bird and he couldn't, or the bird's, like, beak, like, he tried to defend himself. And then as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, and I, like, pulled him away. And I was like, don't do that. And then he just kept looking back, like, there were, that was my snack. And it's like, no, I'll give you snacks. Stop it. He's, he's a hound dog. My, uh, my dad used to have beagles because my dad used to hunt and they used to hunt pheasants my dad had a blind beagle who loved to hunt even though he was blind so he would pick up the scent because his sniffer still worked and my dad said yeah. he ran into so many trees because he was blind. <laughs> <laughs> prince really just wanted to hunt even though uh he was blind as a bat my grandmother was like, you can't leave this dog here because the dog cries every time you go to hunt because the dog just wants to hunt. Oh, Otis always cries. Like, he howls. Yes. Which I think you heard, right? You heard him howl? Yes. But his howls, he sounds like a person. Like, when I leave the room, it's like, ooh. <laughs> but it's, it translates to like, oh, my God, where'd she go? <laughs> <laughs> what a dramatic dog. He fits right into your family. Yes, he's so dramatic. He just needs red lipstick and I'll fit right in. (laughs) He's your grandmother reincarnate. (laughs) 
Now, if only he learned how to play piano. Oh, my God. Like that beagle on YouTube. Have you seen that video? Yes, I have. He hits the keys and he's like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I don't really have a transition. No, I don't either. Actually, for a split second, I thought we were doing Fleabag again. I was ready to <laughs> talk about it. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, now that we got all of our knives out about Otis, we can switch over to... to knives Out. Knives Out. <laughs> that was my knife sound effect. Danielle and I are chilling. It's a Monday night. Mm-hmm. We're having a drink together. We're still quarantined, so we're, we're doing this remotely. Yeah, Christina wanted to have a beer, and I can't let her drink alone, so I'm having a glass of rosé. Thank you. The 11th commandment, thou shalt not drink alone. (laughs) Exactly. What kind of rosé are you drinking? So the brand of wine that I really like is called Seven Moons, and I usually get their red blend, but I saw that they had a rosé at the liquor store, and I was like, well, I can't not buy this. So I bought it. It's pretty good. I think I prefer their red blend a little bit more, but this is very good rosé. Cool. I am drinking Dogfish Head. American Beauty Hazy Ripple IPA. Now, as you all know, I freaking love IPAs. And Danielle, I think maybe, I think you might like this one. Okay. I think you might like this one. I don't want to ruin it for you, but I, so we won't be talking about this on the YouTube channel Mm -hmm. um, because I only have one and I, Darling Dave gave it to me to drink. Um, he saved it specifically for me and gave it to me yesterday. And he was like, take this home and drink it and enjoy it because I love you and you work hard. And I added that last part in, but I do those things. <laughs> but that's what he meant. <laughs> um, his mouth so, may not have said it, but his the sentiment was there. Yeah, his he basically said it with his face and with beer. So go. I wanted to drink. I thought this would be a good time. So it won't be on the YouTube channel, but... Check out Beer Coffee Donuts at some point this month. I will post the blog review on it. And, you know, we'll, we'll put on our Instagram account when it's up. Yes. Christy and I just had a long convo. We were looking at the can, and she's like, this looks like the Grateful Dead bear. I'm like, American Beauty is a Grateful Dead al- album, so I'm assuming it is Grateful Dead inspired. Yeah, it definitely is, right? Because, and then I saw the lightning bolt, and I was like, okay, this is definitely, this is definitely that. But I didn't know that. They did like a collab. So there's a whole thing on it, but I, I'll spare you. I'll just post the can. <laughs> so you can watch Knives Out on Amazon Prime. It is now available. It is for free on Amazon <laughs> Prime as long as you have a Prime subscription. For $120 a year, or if you're a student, which I forgot to say last week, it's only like $50 a year or 60 I think. So this movie was nominated at the Golden Globes for Best Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy. Ana de Armas was uh, nominated for Best Performance by an Actress in a Musical or Comedy, and Daniel Craig was nominated for Best Performance by an Actor in a Musical or Comedy. At the Oscars, only Rian Johnson was nominated for Best Original Screenplay. Did you cheat this time and look at my notes? No, because I wrote my notes before you did. I couldn't find yours. Oh, I wrote them like an hour ago. Yeah, I wrote mine a little bit before yours, so I couldn't find them. So, a death in a wealthy family takes place on the night of Harlan Thrombey's birthday. It's him. A serious Lieutenant Elliot, a silly Trooper Wagner, and a strange private detective, Mr. Blanc, come together to solve the crime. While the family is in shambles over the death of their extremely wealthy loved one, their emotions turn from strange ways of coping to deeply preposterous and full of paranoia. As the will was left to one nurse, the entire family becomes suspicious and can't believe that Harlan's death had something to do with it. They can believe that Harlan's death had something to do with it, sorry. It's okay. Through the lies and the vomit, the truth will surface before the final cup of coffee is poured. <laughs> That's a really good way to end it. Thank you. Okay, so this was directed by Rianne Johnson, who is famous for doing the Star Wars movie The Last Jedi. Yes. Let's talk about the Thromby family. You have Harlan Thromby, played by Christopher Plummer. He is the patriarch of the family. Wow. He is the patriarch of the family. I have one glass of rosé, not even, and look what happens. (laughs) (laughs) He is a mystery author who built the Thromby empire. 
He had a natural talent for writing because the plots of his stories would appear to him fully formed, and he has three children. You have Linda Drysdale, played by Jamie Lee Curtis. She has her own real estate company that she started with a small loan of a million dollars from Thromby, which is a hint. Uh, She's (laughs) married to Richard Drysdale, played by Don Johnson, who is a deadbeat husband who is cheating on her. They have a son, Hugh Ransom Drysdale, played by Chris Evans. He's a stuck-up guy just waiting for his inheritance to kick in. And he and his grandfather butt heads because they loved, quote-unquote, twisting the knife into one another. Harlan's uh, uh, daughter-in-law is Joni Thromby, played by Tony Collette. She was married to his son, Neil, who passed away. She lives her life as an Instagram influencer and has her daughter, Meg, played by Catherine Langford. Uh, who is a stereotypical liberal arts major, going to college. Harlan's other son is Walter Thromby, played by Michael Shannon, who runs the Thromby Publishing Company and wants to sell his father's stories to TV and movie production companies. Uh, He's married to Donna Thromby, played by Ricky Lake, and have one son, Jacob Thromby, played by Jaden Martell, who you may know from It. Actually, you may not know him from It because you refuse to watch it, but he is one of the main characters of It. No, but I know Meg from 13 Reasons Why. Yes, you do. She's Hannah Baker. Oh, Otis wants to join in? (laughs) (laughs) No, that's my beer. Stop it. He's licking his chops. I know. So our main character is Marta Cabrera, played by Ana de Armas. Uh, She is Harlan's nurse and becomes close personal friend. Harlan likes how smart and genuine she is. Her mother came to America illegally, and she is the main breadwinner for the family. She also has a curious habit of puking every time she tells a lie, as Christina mentioned in the summary, so we'll get into that. We have Fran, played by Edie Patterson, who is the maid and finds Harlan dead. Um, As Christina mentioned, there's Lieutenant Elliot, played by Lakeith Stanfield, and Trooper Wagner, played by Noah Sagan. These are the police investigating Harlan's death and believe it to be a suicide. Then we have Benoit Blanc, played by Daniel Craig, uh, who is a PI who is mysteriously hired and is looking for the donut hole in this case. (laughs) So let's get into this climax. So Harlan's lawyer received a last-minute letter revising his will. In this letter, he leaves his entire fortune, the publishing company, and the house to his nurse, Marta. This sets the family off, and then Marta gets blackmailed by an unknown party. We think it is Fran baiting Marta with Harlan's toxicology report, but of course, it's not that. It isn't until Blanc sees the toxicology report that he, his monologue informs us how Harlan really died, who committed the murder, and who hired Blanc to investigate. The final reading of the clue card. It was X in the upstairs study with the morphine. In order to fully explain the climax, let's explain what the splayer rule is. And I got a little excerpt from law.cornell.edu. In- okay. <laughs> Just to be exact. In trusts and estate law, the Slayer Rule says that a murderer cannot retain a property interest in his victim's estate. The Slayer Rule allows courts to presume the murderer disclaims her property interest and therefore behave as though the murderer predeceased the victim. This has the effect of disqualifying the the murderer from receiving property from the estate of the victim. The Slayer Rule applies only if killing was felonious and intentional. The murderer is not required to be convicted of a crime, but if she is convicted of murder, the conviction establishes a conclusive presumption that the murderer did feloniously and intentionally (laughs) kill the victim. Sometimes things I just can't pronounce. Like I tried to say anonymity. It's exactly what I went into. Anyway, that's a slayer rule. What I'm about to go into, Blanc goes into in his big monologue. The night of the party, Harlan tells Ransom that he is being cut out of the will, and he is the only one that Harlan tells that Marta is going to be the one to receive the entire inheritance of everything. This is a nice knife twist by Harlan. 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 Whew. 
He Ransom storms out and secretly comes back and switches Marta's medications in order to frame her for murder so she cannot inherit Harlan's future fortune, a.k.a. the Slayer rule. So just go over that real quick because you have a bottle of morphine and you have a bottle of carotene? Yes. Okay, so he took the carotene out of the carotene bottle and put it in the morphine bottle. And Then he took the morphine out of the morphine bottle and put it in the carotene bottle. Exactly. But... She accidentally gave him the morphine, which was carotene, because he switched the solutions from the bottles. Actually, no. She thought that she gave him morphine. Right, but the carotene was in that bottle. So she actually did give him the carotene and not the morphine, even though the labels were incorrect. And when she realized what she did only by the labels, she thought that he was going to die Right, because the solutions are so, so similar. Yes. It's, like, very, very difficult to tell the difference between the two, and he kind of mentions that, but I don't know. I was thinking about this, and I knew that you were going to go over it, but I was thinking to myself, like, we should really go over this because it was confusing as they were explaining it, and I was like, wait a minute, what? I felt the need to go back and back. This is very confusing. I was trying to keep it as minimal as possible, but yes, so... The reason Ransom switched it is because he wanted Marta to inject his grandfather with morphine so that he would die and he would be able to claim that she intentionally poisoned the grandfather to get the money. But instead, she gave him the correct dosage, even though she told Harlan, oh my god, I gave you the wrong dosage, in which Harlan decided that in order to save Marta, he was going to commit suicide, aka he was going to slit his throat. When Ransom wakes up the next morning and sees that his grandfather slit his throat as opposed to dying in the middle of the night of a morphine overdose, that's when he hires LeBlanc, or Blanc, sorry, not LeBlanc. I'm thinking Matt LeBlanc. That's when he hires LeBlanc. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, I did it again. That's when he hires Blanc to investigate in order to determine that Marta was the one that killed him. However, when Marta confesses to Ransom that she accidentally gave him the wrong doses, even though Ransom knows that she gave him the correct doses, he knows that the toxicology report is not going to show that she poisoned him. So he is done. However, he still thinks that Marta thinks that she killed him. So that's when his story changes and he pushes for Marta to claim the inheritance and then he he was going to get some of the money. And then he rats her out to the police, if you remember, because they arrest Ransom, rats her out to the police. As Blanc is figuring out that the only, and the one thing that Blanc keeps focusing on and that's how he figures out the truth is who hired me that is the biggest donut hole inside of the donut hole inside of the donut hole let me let me tell you that it was so funny to watch his character be so stupid and then also so intellectual at the same time it was yeah no it was good because i thought that he was just gonna like stupidly solve everything well so what really sets him off to understand this timeline is is that he sees the toxicology report he sees that harlan was not poisoned so marta's story is not there because if he was poisoned it would have shown up in the toxicology report if that she actually did give him more morphine right so he proves that ransom was the one to hire him ransom was the one behind all this ransom is the one to switch the medications and at that moment when he's giving this monologue ransom grabs a knife and tries to stab marta because he knows the jig is up but luckily the knife he grabs is a stage knife which circles back to a quote which i thought i wrote down but i did not in which the grandfather compares ransom in himself which happens throughout a lot of it And he says that there's a difference between a stage knife and a fake knife, and you really don't know until the end or something along those lines. Did you put that in there for shadow? I did not. Okay, anyway. 
So that is how the climax ends. And this is where I hand it off to you. So we find out that Ransom, 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 oh my God. You never trust a character named Ransom. If a character is named Ransom, that's clue number one. I feel like that was also, I didn't write this down, but in my head I was like, that's definitely a foreshadowing thing. I'm pretty sure I'm definitely um, stereotyping right now, but I'm solely judging you based on your name. I feel like I'm allowed to do that because it's a movie. If, if, if it was a, a real person in real life, I wouldn't say like, you committed this robbery because your name is Ransom. But because it's a movie, I feel like I'm allowed to do that. It's a fictional movie. If a per- If whoever is writing this is making the effort to call a character Ransom, that's a red flag that you got to right. pick up real quick. Red flag. <laughs> ransom, red flag, go. So he ind- we find out that he indirectly is the killer of the grandfather. He also admitted to killing Fran. Then Marta throws up all over him and he tries to kill her. We also find out that Harlan would have in fact survived if he listened to Marta and called 911 but he decided to slit his throat for Marta to keep her family safe. The will remains in Marta's name, and our last shot mimics the beginning with one particular coffee cup. And as I saw it in the beginning, I was like, I like that cup. Yeah. It says, I think it says, like, my house, my rules, my coffee. It, and the, yes. like, check boxes. Yes. Yeah. So Marta is kind of, like, at this point, like, still in distress, but she, you know, realizes that she's not dead. She thought, like, she was going to get stabbed to death. She has a blanket over her that almost like resembles a cape, right? Mm-hmm. So because she's like the hero now at this point and she's holding her cup of coffee and she sips it um same mug. So now it says my house, my rules, my coffee. Um and since the will is in her name, all the money, the house, everything, it is her house. Yes. So as she looks over the balcony outside on the second floor, She's staring down at the thrombies who are now staring up back at her. And she's just up there drinking her coffee, which symbolizes that she owns this place yep. as of now. She rules the and roost. That's, and that's where we that's where we end. So one of the foreshadowing pieces was the coffee cup in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, my house, my rules, my coffee, and one Marta drinks out of it in the end. At one point, Linda cried and said she thinks that uh, she can't believe that this is happening with her father and she's like i'm just waiting for him to say that it's a game or like at least for there to be a big reveal Mm -hmm. um so as soon as she says that there's going to be a big reveal we kind of know that you know something this isn't going to be like a regular kind of suicide or homicide there's always going to be some kind of twist to it can i just add on to that She said that i'm waiting for she's waiting for like this like a game and one of the games that she and her father always played was that they would leave each other secret notes. And for her character specifically, she got the blank card with the invisible ink, the heat ink, where her father tells her that her husband is cheating on him, which is something that he was going to reveal to her anyway, if you remember. So that was yes, kind of her her foreshadow for her as well. As they're taking Ransom away. The husband is like, we need to call the lawyers. And she's reading the letter and she's about to smoke a cigarette. And it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, we do need to call the lawyers, but for other reasons. Exactly. But then he looks at her and she looks at him and it's almost like he's aware that she knows. And then the, the other one that I thought was really interesting was when Harlan is explaining what Marta should do, right? This whole elaborate plan of going through the trap door down the freaking like a ladder on the side of the house, don't make any noise, put on my roll, put on my hat, go down the stairs. He tells her to, before the elephant or the hippo, whatever whatever the hell it is. It was an elephant. To go off the road and yes. park the car and then come back. And he said, go back through the back entrance or the side entrance where there's like a little gate and the dogs know you so they won't bark. Yes. Right? So when Ransom first appears at the house, the dogs come at him and they bark at him like they're going to attack him. Yeah. Right? So it's almost like he's seen as an intruder right from the beginning. And then when they replay his scene, because he's trying to do a very similar tactic that Marta's doing, he sees that there's dogs and the dogs don't recognize him and they start to bark because they don't know him and he's seen as this intruder. So, you know, when the dogs 
know someone, as my dog is going crazy behind me, when the dogs know someone, they don't respond. But when somebody is seen as a threat or an intruder, they start barking. And as soon as we see Ransom on camera, which is at the Will reading, they start barking at him. Also, and attack him, like, right at the side of the car. Also, Blanc says specifically that dogs are a great judge of character. There's a scene where Marta is petting the dogs, and the dogs come running up to her, and they don't bark. And he says that dogs are a great judge of character. Oh, yes. That's when they're, like, retracing those steps, and she Mm -hmm. sees her footprints. And she's just like, he's like, come back, but don't. And she's, like, walking right through. And she's like, don't what? What did you not? Oh, don't step here? Yeah. (laughs) I couldn't hear you. What were you telling me to do? That was funny. I would like to add in one other piece of foreshadow, if you do not mind. It's not really Mm -hmm. a foreshadow for this movie, but it's a foreshadow more for our podcast because one of the characters, so the characters are constantly like bringing up that their dad is self-made and that the family is self-made. And one of the reasons why he likes Marta so much is because she is truly self-made because she's coming from legitimately nothing. Her parents are immigrants. And someone quotes Hamilton and says that immigrants, we get the job done. And what are we doing next week? Hamilton. I'm very excited for Hamilton. I've never seen it before and I'm like so stoked. I'm going to suggest that you and everybody else listens to the music first. I don't like to do this. When I see Broadway musicals, I, first of all, I like to see them on Broadway, but you wanted to do this and I agreed to it and I, I think it's going to be good anyway. But when I, hmm, when I see something on Broadway or I see that it exists on Broadway, I don't, I don't do anything. I just go to the theater. I hear that it's good. I go to the theater and I watch it. Mm-hmm. Or I see like a, a commercial on TV and that's it. I don't listen to the music. <clears throat> I don't look up the plot. I don't look at any spot, nothing. I want to experience the whole thing. However, there are so many lyrics because it is a musical rap. There are so many lyrics that it's worth it for you to kind of listen to the music first and digest what they're saying. Gotcha. So that you're aware. Because I think if, if you hear everything, because the first time I listened to the music, just the music, it felt like information overload. Yeah. So if you're listening to the music for the first time, you're seeing the plot for the first time, if you don't know the history of Alexander Hamilton, it's going to be like your brain's going to explode. Yeah. So I recommend at least listening to the music a couple of times before you sit down and watch it. Okay. That's definitely something I always planned to be watching that with the closed captioning on because that's something I need to like read the lyrics while I'm listening to it. When I go for my walks in the morning, I'll listen to the Hamilton soundtrack (laughs) and give it a go. Yeah, for a while, it was like what I would run to. (laughs) Yeah, it's really good. It's good. I'm very excited. All right, well, let's finish up Knives Out. Yes, anyway. (laughs) A little stay tuned for next week. The fun will never stop. The fun will never stop. I am... DB gave it a 7.9 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes, uh, the critics gave it a 97%, and the audience gave it a 92%. I like that it was higher on Rotten Tomatoes. I really liked this movie. I did too. My review is from Metacritic, though. Okay. Because I didn't like anything on IMDb. Everybody was like, this is like just super awesome, or like, this is absolute garbage that's what i found on rotten tomatoes too so i actually went on amazon prime and got my review but please you go first okay so before i go into this i do want to preface it with a lot of the reviews talked about this movie being super political and i i really don't think that it was because if you think they're like okay guys i know like immigrants come from this that and the third and it's like i didn't think that that was like the primary theme of the movie i felt like i was playing advanced clue the whole time i did too i, I mean feel that's like really it there were really subtle hints to our current political climate that if you are not like well versed in it you may let like fly over your head for example i mentioned like the small loan of a million dollars that's something that if you follow politics at all you know what i'm talking about and the fact that like they make fun of Jacob, the um, the, the Walter son. Yeah. 
But I like if you were to tell me, if you were to ask me rather, what show do I think takes politics and makes it a part of the show? In my opinion, I would say that as I watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I definitely see more of like what's happening in our world show mm-hmm. up in that show. And I'd also say Jane the Virgin. Like those would be the first two things that I've seen recently that kind of take what's happening in our current day situation and put it in the show. I didn't feel like this was thrown in my face. Like it was like a political agenda. Like I didn't, I really felt like I was playing advanced clue the entire time. And the whole time in my head, I was thinking, okay, I feel like we're only halfway through the movie and I've already known like how this person's going to die. So what do I do now? So I kind of like how they gave you that information early on and then went from there. But I didn't feel like it was being thrown in my face. And in fact, I will say, I don't, it was, I think it was Joni is her name, mm-hmm. the character who's like free spirited. Yeah. She's the one who's kind of talking about immigrants and the entire time she's talking about it, I feel like it can't be a theme because that character is shut down. Yeah. The rest of the family's like, yeah, 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 whatever. So I don't know if you can necessarily say it's a theme if the character that discusses it is being shut down about it. I think that... Does that make sense? I think the greater commentary on immigrants for this movie is that if you listen to them talking to Marta, every time they get the country she's from wrong. And she's been with the <laughs> Thromby family for a very long time, and they just can't compute. Like, one call says that she's from Ecuador, one says she's from Uruguay, one says that she's from Paraguay. So they're so self-absorbed. And Brazil. Yeah. So they're self- so self-absorbed that they can't figure out where she's from. From what I was reading on uh, reviews, people were saying, like, oh, she's portraying white people as being idiots. I mean... I, do, I didn't think that, and I, yeah, but again... I thought that was part of the comedy. I thought that was part of the satire. Again, like, it, we don't always know where everybody comes from, and sometimes we just say the first thing that comes out of our mouth. Yeah. And I just thought that was satirical of that nature. I, I didn't really think... I mean, like, this is a bit... Part of it is a crime and it's a drama, but this one is part of a comedy, and I think a lot of the comedy comes from, like, digs and satire. I agree. I think that's part of it. If you, so. okay, do your review because you're really going to like my review if that's right. part right. of it. All right. So this was a nine out of 10. Okay. It was fun to watch the somewhat obvious clues and figure out the actual mystery early on. Then it hit with a gut punch at the end I wasn't expecting. It wasn't even about figuring out what happened or by who, as that seemed obvious. The why and the journey there was the best part. Great movie. Go see it if you want to enjoy a fun movie. That was that was a positive review. I feel like a lot of the it depended on where you were getting your reviews from because a lot of the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes were just like great movie, amazing. And then I went on Amazon Prime and I realized I cannot read Amazon Prime reviews anymore because they just make me very angry. So here's one that kind of made me very angry. This is a one star review from Amazon Prime and it says, <gasps> I know. The first 30 minutes of this movie were really, really good. The cinematography is gorgeous, the dialogue snappy, the editing engaging. But it fell apart once the first twist is revealed and Rion Johnson starts getting self-indulgent. I really don't like that he likes, hold on, I really don't like that he likes to have meta lines about how stupid his writing decisions are as if that justifies them. For example, we get the most boring car chase in cinema and when it's over, one character says, that has to be the dumbest car chase I've ever seen. The detective sounds like Foghorn Leghorn parody and they they pointed out at the end of the movie as if that makes it any less ridiculous. The writing gets flat out stupid at times. There's a scene where the detective claims that the case is like a donut with a hole that needs to be filled by a donut hole. Our lead character can't lie or else she vomits uncontrollably. A bad movie from a horrible writer. Again, it's satire. That is what makes it funny. You are wrong, whoever wrote this this damn credit, like, review. Part of it for me, like, part of the, the fact that you have somebody who is a human lie detector through vomit is hilarious. Exactly. I don't know I what this funny. person's problem is. And then the donut hole scene, do you know what that reminded me of? <laughs> you? Because I just donut. thought of you as soon as I saw it. <laughs> Wait till we get to snack break, okay? <laughs> no, but like, I was thinking about it and I was like, to me, if, have you seen Pulp Fiction? Yes, but a, a while ago. <laughs> 
it re- I don't know why, but like the way the camera zoomed in and the way that he was saying the word over and over again, it reminded me of the watch scene with Christopher Walken from Pulp Fiction. And I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I thought it was so ridiculous and so preposterous. His accent annoyed the crap out of me this entire movie. And I was like, and that was like one of my lows, but it was so ridiculous that it almost made sense. It's like, of course he has a son <coughs> God bless you. Sorry. And so that, what was the other thing that they knocked? The dumbest car chase they've ever seen. I, I think would... that was her character. She was a nervous wreck about everything. And she drives a freaking Hyundai Sonata. An old one. I like yeah. when Ransom was like, I wish we should have taken the Beamer. Honestly, I would have taken that ridiculous dumb car chase and them being self-aware that that was a ridiculous dumb car chase over a high-speed, stupid, fake, this is never going to happen in a million years car chase. I think the fact that they called it out is what made the humor like meta. We were all thinking it. They knew that it was dumb. And they were just kind of, it was like almost like subtly breaking the fourth wall and saying like, by the way, this is the dumbest thing we've ever seen. Yeah, I thought it was hysterical. No other movie does that. If the movie hadn't done that, then I would have been like, yeah, this is a really dumb car chase. But the fact that it does do that is so great. And I think this person is stupid and I don't agree with them whatsoever. Well... (laughs) (laughs) if we go into our high lows i think one of my i have two lows okay one low was um let me just say this first because i didn't write it down i don't want to forget the knives the circular thing of knives i have no idea why that's there i feel like that was not explained but it's funny because they're all sitting there and as they're sitting in the interrogation room like all these knives are pointing at them but other than like that being funny, I don't understand why it was there. Wasn't, didn't he write a book with knives being the title and uh, Trooper Wagner mentioned something about that and it may have been in relation to his book and that's why he had it there? But like, because your book title had knives in it, you have a circular mandala of knives. Listen, maybe it's an artistic piece. He just wanted to really show off his knife collection, and that's the best way he could figure out how to do it. I mean, it didn't look out of place in that house, because that house was... Preposterous, at best. It was, but but I loved it. I needed an explanation. Because it was so prominent. It's not like it was a bear in the background that's, like, stuffed. You wanted to go sit down and have a cup of coffee with a circle of knives? There was enough coffee and donuts in this. But my problem is that, like, if you're going to make something in the background be so prominent, you can't just say, like, oh, hey, guys, uh, this movie has knives in the title. And also the guy who died wrote a book about knives. So we have a circular mandala knives. So sit down by the knives. I need more than that. Yeah, who knows? It didn't really bother me, to be honest. Well, I was curious. <laughs> I want answers. Part of me wants to delve in a little bit more because there were a couple of things that I read about this being like loosely based on like an Agatha Christie novel. Yes. And I really like Agatha Christie. I feel like I watched a couple of videos and I feel like they did their best to really pick and choose from murder mysteries to really make like a true murder mystery, which I think they definitely accomplished with this movie. Advanced clue. (laughs) Exactly. Can I tell you Milo? Sure. So I said that I don't agree with the person in the review, but I do agree with the one thing he said, and it's Daniel Craig's accent because I hated it so much. Me too, me too. I wrote that he didn't didn't need it. He didn't. Because he's from, he's English, I think. Yes, he is. I don't know if he's from... Wells, but I watched a video of him teaching, oh my God, Stephen Colbert, how to have um, an English accent. I think they base it off of like Wells. And so I thought, this would have been great in your own voice. I don't think you needed this. I agree. And I like that Ransom calls it a Kentucky Fried Foghorn Leghorn Drawl because that is exactly what it is. But I did do a little research and you mentioned Agatha Christie novels. She has a character named Hercule Pierrot, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And he's supposed to have like a Belgian accent similar to that. This I think there was another detective that has that kind of accent as well. So I think he was really trying to play on like very well-known detectives 
and he was supposed to be in that realm. But at the end of the day, I agree with you. He could have just used his British accent, Sherlock Holmes, and it would have been fine. The other thing that I noticed was when, oh, what's her name's husband? Ransom's father. Uh, Richard Drysdale, Don Johnson. Yeah. yeah, when he throws the baseball out the window, all the windows are closed. Where's yes. the broken glass? Where's the broken glass? I don't even hear a shatter. I feel like the baseball, there was some symbolism there because it always sat on Harlan's desk and then it was thrown out the window and then the dogs have it. Actually, you see, I think you see Blanc throwing it around and then I think he throws it to Marta and then the dogs get it. And then in mm-hmm. one of the last scenes, like Linda takes it out of the dog's mouth and put it back, puts it back on the desk kind of to be like the ball was passed around, but now it's finally back to where it, ne- it belongs. I guess there you could unpack that a little bit more. Well, once she puts the ball back, that's when she finds the letter. Yeah. So like, if that ball never went missing, then she might not have gone to his desk to find the letter that yeah. says that her husband was cheating on her. That's true. Maybe that's it. That's like one of those logic things where everything happens for a reason. Yeah. Whatever. That was my observation. Well, if you want to go even further into that with it not making sense, broken glass, yes. But also, you never see the dogs in the house. But in the last scene, you see the dog in the house with the ball in his mouth. Why did they just decide to let that dog in the house? They don't look like house dogs. They're like outside dogs. Maybe they stay in the house sometimes. I mean, but you never see it until the last scene. The dogs are always just running around the house. Or running around outside. Outside. Because they're like guard dogs. Exactly. I don't know. But I think maybe like that that needed to happen because if that ball didn't, if she didn't find that ball, I don't know what would have made her go into his office and like find the letter. Because the husband finds a letter and he's like, oh, this is just blank. Ha ha. Nothing here. Yeah. And he just leaves it there and then she sees it and. She, She knows her dad's tricks. Right, right. I will say one of my highs is the set design because A, I would love to live in this house, but also B, it's so visually stimulating and you just have so many like interesting paintings. One of my favorite things was besides the ball in the like on his desk, the two eyeballs just sitting behind his desk. So every time you see him sitting at that desk, it's like the two eyeballs are staring at you, A, judging you, and B, just being like all-knowing. I loved that little detail. Okay, so at this point, I have to ask, if you had to pick a house to live in, would it be this one or the one from Where'd You Go Bernadette? Oh, this one, 100%. Where'd You Go Bernadette was a complete mess. That was such a fixer-upper. This one's actually... But you said you wanted to live there. I did... But also, I would rather take this house because I'm lazy by design and I don't want to have to flip the whole house. (laughs) And that study upstairs is the coolest thing and I love all of the rooms. Oh, I found my dream apartment on the Upper West Side. (laughs) So, it's $2,800 and change and technically it's a studio, but it's a loft and the whole top floor is a big bedroom. $2,800? That's it? That's what I said. Dave and my mom were like, what? But that's New York City. Like a, that's they had cheap. A queen size bed up there and a sectional couch, a desk, and closets. That's just on the loft. It's just on the loft. Just on the loft part. Not to mention like the bottom with the kitchen, a living room, and how many square feet? I don't know. I don't remember. You always gotta look at the square footage. They lie to you about the square footage, but you always gotta look at the square footage. Well. They fit all these things nicely. Listen, I've looked at I've looked at some apartments on Zillow and be like, that's beautiful. And then I'm like, ah, 500 square feet shouldn't be too terrible. And then you get oh, there and you're like, yeah. uh, it may have two floors, but they don't put those 500 <laughs> square feet too many places. I was telling Dave, I was like, look, we could watch TV up in the loft. He goes, but if we have a living room with a television, what's the difference between watching the television in our living room and watching the television in the loft, I said, well, if we watch it in a loft, we're elevated. Yes. We're above sea level. Yes. And he was like, that's not a reason. And I was like, yes, it is, because we're in a different spot. <laughs> I love to go on Zillow and look at, like, 
high-rise apartments in New York City. There was one, and it had to have been, I forget where it was and how much it was. It was bananas expensive. It was like millions and millions of dollars. But the whole thing was glass from floor to ceiling, and oh you're on the tip top of a building, like like looking all above Manhattan, and all I thought about was Hurricane Sandy and being in that <laughs> apartment when like a big thunderstorm happens and you must feel like you're going to die. Like I would never want to be there during a storm. Never. Yeah, no. So my high was obviously, I said my high was the donut scene. That was, that was great. I immediately uh, thought of you as soon as I watched that scene. I'm really happy that people think of me when they think of donuts. And I want a donut. Oh, my God. Go get a donut. I might when this is over. Go to Montclair Bread Company. I'm sure they're opening up. I doubt it. Everything's closed because of quarantine. Stuff is opening up, Christina. All right. Well, let's. if we finish this, then I can get one. I mean, not right now. Maybe tomorrow. Yeah, but that's not what I want. <laughs> I want it all. And I want it now. Okay, so are we moving into snack break? We are. Snack, snack break. break. Okay, so I, I told you I wanted a donut towards the end. But I was like, oh, I'm really hungry. So I took, I made corn chips. You made corn chips? I had corn tortillas and I cut them and I sprinkled them with olive oil and sea salt and I popped them in the oven and then I made guacamole and I had chips and guac. Oh, you didn't eat it like a fork, like a savage and where'd you go, Bernadette? No. <laughs> Good for you. I'm very she, proud of you. She's out of order. She was. I will never forget that. I will never forgive her for that. Never forget. What about you? So I decided to go to TJ's because we had no food in the house. So I went grocery shopping before I watched this. And I got a dark chocolate. Wow, I can't speak today. I got a dark chocolate. <laughs> a dark chocolate sea salt caramel bar from Whoa. Trader Joe's. And it was so good the difference and why it made it so good was because the caramel inside of the chocolate ball bar i can't say bar the caramel inside of the chocolate bar was salted not the salt on top and that's what made it good because if it had just that cracked sea salt on top i feel like it wouldn't have tasted it so good but because the caramel was infused with the salt it was delicious <laughs> So, I feel like I like a good sprinkle of sea salt on top, though. Maybe, like, both. I do, too, but I feel like it can be too aggressive. Like, you're just getting, like, a huge chunk of salt, and your tongue immediately goes, like, dry. So I feel like having it mixed in with the caramel was a nice, easier way to do it, and it was evenly distributed. Okay. Um, and then I also had some Francis Coppola wine. I had some Sauvignon Blanc to uh, give a nice nod to uh, Detective Blanc. Benny. Oh, very nice. I do like Francis Coppola wine. It's really good. I don't, I know you're just getting into red, but he has a Merlot that is very good. Is it? It's almost sweet, which you don't really get from a Merlot. Typically Merlots are a little bit drier, but yeah. it's really good. Give it a shot though if you see it. I know it might be a little, it might be a little pricier. His stuff isn't the cheapest, but I think it has like babies' butts on it, like cherubs, but like they're backwards, <laughs> and you just see like three of their butts. Because I think Steve got it for me, and he's like, "Hey, do, hey, do you like the wine I got you for Christmas? It has butts on it." <laughs> it's like, thanks, baby butts. Thanks, Steve. Um, I remember when I was taking like my um, Baroque art classes. They're called Puti, uh, Puti, actually, P-U-T-I, is like. The, I think the Italian word to say Cupid, if I'm not mistaken. Or like mini Cupids. Pooty. Mini Cupid. Baby Cupid. <laughs> the little ones. That's cute. So for my expectation versus reality, I didn't really... Mm, I I read a summary, somebody else's summary, before I watched this. I, I, did, I did the the preview, or the trailer rather, after. Mm-hmm. I mainly thought it was just going to be the family ripping each other to shreds. 
Yeah. Like when I heard Agatha Christie and when I heard Knives Out and I read the summary, I was like, oh, maybe this is going to be like, and then there were none or 10 little Indians, depending on what year you're reading an Agatha Christie novel, because it was originally called 10 little Indians. And then it was called, and then there were none, Mm -hmm. I think. And then it was based around the centerpiece on the table. If you watch the movie, which is very old. But what I was saying was the, idea of it I thought that it was just gonna be the family like tearing each other apart Mm -hmm. and like maybe it was gonna be more of like a murder mystery of like who's killing everybody in the house yeah um I didn't expect it to be advanced clue yeah I really liked the idea that he was a like a mystery writer and his death caused this huge murder mystery like life imitates art type deal I had first heard about it at the Golden Globes, and I had actually watched this previous in the winter. I actually believe that I paid for it myself. Yeah, you told me that you already watched it. But for some reason, I forgot the climax. I don't know why, I just like completely forgot the ending and the climax. So, rewatching It's a lot to remember. It is. I tried to make the climax as like succinct as possible. But it's so complex, and I kind of like how complex it is and how much it plays on just small details. And I also really like the fact that you see the, like, little drop of blood on March's shoes, and at the end, Blanc was like, how do you know I was involved with the murder? And he's like, I knew from the first time I saw you, and he, po- like, pointed out the little point of blood on her shoe. Yeah. I love when small details play a huge role in, like, the bigger plot of stories. Love it. Good stuff. hmm Did you have an IRL moment? Only that I have the same coat as Ransom and the same orange beret as Meg. The same coat as Ransom? Yeah, Ransom has this, like, chocolate brown coat, and one of my favorite winter coats is a chocolate brown coat, and I bought it offline, and I love it, and I basically live in it in the wintertime, and I have an orange beret that I got at Urban Outfitters, and I have held on to for years. I've probably only worn it a handful of times, but I saw Meg wearing an orange beret, and I was like, oh, I had that beret. And whenever I wear the beret, I just think of the Prince song Raspberry Beret, which is my legit Prince jam, like one of my favorite Prince songs. I know Every you're... time. Every time Prince comes on the radio, my mother's in the room. Every single time. Not a time goes by where Prince comes on that this doesn't happen, okay? It's always presented like it's new information. You know, I never really cared for Prince. (laughs) Every time. Every time. You know, I never really cared for Prince. Every time. Like it's brand new information. My mom does that too. With other people, though. Drives crazy. We're at the point where it'll come on and I'm like, let me guess. You never really cared for Prince. She's like, how did you know? And I was like, well, Deborah, we've had this conversation for many years now. I have been doing that to Nick because there is a commercial with Charlie Puth. And I believe it's a subway commercial and Charlie Puth is singing. And every time I say Charlie Puth, because that is how my mother says Charlie Puth. Charlie Puth, Puth, Charlie Puth, Puth, Puth. Puth. What else does she, she also says Vladimir Putin. Oh, my God. And she says uh, her famous one is Ofra. No. She calls her Ofra. Oh, no. Something <laughs> just in my mom, my mom's. It's like, you know, remember back in the day when you wanted to make a phone call and they had to, like, move wires to get you from, like, one person to the next because they were, like, a phone operator and it was the old times? There's, uh-huh. there's, phone, there, there's a switchboard in my mother's brain. And the person moving the wires just moved it incorrectly, and it's like that for the rest of her life. And then he went on a permanent vacation. And now my mom's going to listen to this, and she's going to be like, Danielle, that's not nice. How dare you say (laughs) that about me? Sorry, Mom. What did my mom say? Oh, well, I don't know if you saw my Instagram story, but my mom was like, what are you going to watch, Game of Thorns? (laughs) Yes, I did. Because I messaged you, will the real Slim Shady please stand up? Because She had a hoodie on, and she's like, I'm going to hide. She's yeah, like, if you're going to do this, I'm going to hide. She was not happy about it. Game of Thorns. It's just a switchboard where the, the wires aren't connected properly. 
I think the wires are missing. <laughs> They're like slowly disintegrating over the years. It always reminds me of that SpongeBob episode where like it's the workers and his brain is like, get rid of anything that's not fine dining and breathing. Everything? We're going to burn everything? And then they can't remember his name and they all freak out. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway. We threw what... out his name! <laughs> <laughs> what is your IRL moment? I just had the coffee mug. I feel like that's a thing. I have so many coffee mugs. Um, I don't have that one and I really want it. And I feel like people listening to this who know me know that I should have that coffee mug. So please, when I get my own apartment again, um, I would like that as a housewarming gift. Okay. I'll make a Um, mental note. But like whatever, whoever gets it, just send a group text out to everybody I know because I don't want 12 of them, please. It's like (laughs) when you get engaged and, uh, Everyone gives you a ring that says, does this, um, it's a mug that says, does this ring make me look engaged? Because I know friends who have gotten like five of those mugs. Um, what do you do with them all? You, you give them out them. to the next people who get engaged. You, you give, you give them. It's like, if this happens, then we go this way. If this happens, if I get 12, then I give 11 out. Exactly. Or I give 10 out and I keep this one in case I break it. I love mugs. I like I have- so many my mom is like angry with me now she's like why don't you bring them to work i'm like because i have a mug tree at work deborah and that has a half a dozen of them on it i have three bowls in my apartment but i have 20 something mugs because that makes sense well some of the mugs could probably be bowls i mean they make them so big now i wind up doing that like if i need to scramble some eggs why am i going to use a bowl you just use (laughs) an extra large mug Oh my goodness! And it's a nice thing- size mug though too. The and th- they have there. It's like slightly bigger than normal. I like that. Same, because who wants to drink a small cup of coffee? Not me. No. <laughs> Don't insult me. The thing is, is like I have to just like hold myself back from buying mugs because I will buy all of the mugs. Oh I- no, I can't. I can't. I, I because people give them to me, and I know like I'll just wait for a holiday. Did I tell you I posted a blog about it? I got six mugs for the holidays this year mugs are the easiest gift to give because everyone has assorted mugs there's no way that you have uniform mugs and you're like no no i'm never i can only buy these types of mugs to match my plates and my bowls and my everything no they just would go out of my way to get like plates forks knives and bowls but not buy a set with mugs because at this point i have so many mugs Mm-hmm. that I don't need. Not to mention there's the stay-at-home mugs and then there are the travel mugs. Travel mugs are a whole other animal. I just got a new one. My friend Danielle. Oh, I'm your friend Danielle. You. No, the other Danielle. The one who just recently got married. I Congratulations, know. Danielle. Congratulations. She, I have something that I need to show you on the next podcast, but she bought me, um, <laughs> my birthday was in April, but I got my birthday present like this weekend yeah. and she bought Better me, late than ever. it's a Contigo travel mug and I can't wait to take it on hikes with me because I tested it out and it kept my coffee hot, like for at least half the day. Oh, I love that. Yes. And it keeps the cold. It says it keeps the cold cold for twelve hours. So I have to I have to put like ice water in it and see what happens. But I'm ready to like take it on a hike with me. I remember the last concert I went to. I have a thermos that Nick's mom got me, and it's one of the best coffee mugs ever. And it, like before we went into the concert, I told his sister and was like, "Thank your mom because this is like the best mug I've ever gotten." And of course, as soon as I get through security, they're like, "Oh, you can't bring that mug in here. You need to check it." So I had to check the mug. I didn't have to check my bag. I had to check the mug. What be- kind of mug? It was a thermos, but I guess because it was metal and you couldn't see in it, they no, wouldn't. What kind of thermos? No, it was like the thermos brand, just like metal mug. But I guess because it was metal, you couldn't see in it. It's like a drinking vessel. They wouldn't let you, they wouldn't let me bring it in. So as we were leaving, we were like trying to dip out early. And I'm like, I need to go get the mug. I'm not about to forget that here at the Barclay Center. Like I got to go get the mug. What was your IRL moment? Oh, the the coat and the beret. What was your, oh, the coffee mug. Oh, right. We did that. Did we do it all? Hello, welcome to our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you all for listening, right? Because I think we're ready to close this out. We are. 
So real simple. Thank you all so much for listening first and foremost and putting up with us because we, the tangents were strong with this one. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can send us an email at, Hey, uh, nope. At two girls, TV at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at, Hey, it's two girls. You can follow Danielle on Instagram at Danielle Kobianki. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at classic Stina. Again, check the blog out, beercoffeedonuts.wordpress.com. It will be updated very in the near future. And also check out our YouTube channel, Two Girls Drink Beer. We'll be going into our new variety pack, Supper mm-hmm. We're very excited about this. I think it's going to be great. Very. I can't wait to have the coffee one. Should we do that, like, on Sunday? This upcoming <gasps> Sunday? <gasps> yes. Because we'll... Bull- Will you be hungover from 4th of July? Probably not. Oh, well, I will. So let's do the coffee one. (laughs) I don't know. As long as it's not too late. (laughs) That was veiled criticism, and I will not listen to it, and I will not respond. (laughs) Name the quote. I don't know. You don't know the quote? That is from, uh, I just was watching it, Arrested Development. Oh, does Jason Bateman say that? No, Lucille Blue says that. My, my girl. All right, let's close this out. We are done. We so, are done. Thanks again. Have a great week, and we'll catch up with you next time. Bye, guys. What's up?